everybody. I am back in sunny Los Angeles, California, which is very exciting. I'm Sarah Benincasa, and I'm here on Where You From today with a fellow New Jersey native, my friend, a director, a writer, a producer, an artiste, a sound lady, sometimes a stand-up comedian still once in a while, an actress, so many things, an activist, a person with blonde hair, a person who uses highlighter really well. Are you wearing Fenty today? What are you wearing? I'm not. I actually use um, champagne butter highlighter from Physicians Formula. You can get it at any drugstore near you. It's Heather Fink. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Heather Fink. Hi, Sarah Benincasa. It's very exciting to be here with you in in my home. And I should say to everybody, I live not far from a mechanic and also from a busy road. So if you hear stuff in the background, that's what that is. But here on Where You're From, we've had to deal with various forms of background noise in all sorts of settings. And the people, the people seem to be okay with it. I'm okay with it. This is weird. I've never been a guest on a podcast that I'm also engineering. (laughs) Producer Heather is producer Heathering today in addition to in addition to being a guest, which is cool. Is it weird doing double duty? It is. I'm like giving you eye contact and I'm also looking at the levels and uh, but I think we're in a good place. I think I can like lay off now that we're getting going. I was talking to my friend Payman Benz, who's a director and is is a very funny bunny. And he is a director and a producer on um, Rory Scoville's new show, which is going to be on oh, Comedy great. Central, I think. He's a lovely person. Maybe it's going to be on another channel. I don't know. It's going to be to Rory, who I've never met, but I've heard is a lovely person. Um, He has this show, and Payman's a director and a producer on it. And uh, we were talking about a mutual friend who once was, he he was an executive producer slash showrunner on uh, something. And then he also decided to direct every episode. And I feel like this is a miniature version of that. Like, (laughs) in a weird way, you're doing such double duty, and you're having to look at the technical aspect of it and the emotional aspect of the experience. Yeah, I will say that in the changing landscape of television, uh, a lot of there's a lot of creative producers on board. And there's often a producer who's also a director on a show and that's becoming more and more common, which is cool because TV is a writer's medium and it's more the medium of like the actors and the people who are always on the show. So to have someone who's there for every episode who gets in and directs actually kind of works yeah it's cool it just seems like a lot so much work like I think yeah for payment it's cool he's excited and it's a good amount of work but he's not like I don't know I guess he's I don't think he's I mean I don't know I'll have to ask him but he seems very upbeat about it <laughs> and yeah. excited I don't think he's like running the show do you know what I mean like he's a producer and he's directing some episodes but mm-hmm. not all of them and he's not like He's basically not like the full-time air traffic controller all the time, which is what I think of a showrunner's job as being, in a sense. Um, Yeah, that's so interesting. So uh, as you know, you mentioned I do sound. I'm doing it right now. You Um, are doing it right now. I primarily do not ever do podcasts. I primarily do it for film and television as like a boom operator, but um, to pay the bills. And, uh, and I direct, I have done sound and directed at the same time, but I'm on set a lot. And you mentioned what a showrunner does. And those are the people I'm around the least. Like they rarely come to set. Can you define for people who who don't know because they blessedly chose a, a wiser career track what what a showrunner is? Like, can you define that? I love that you're asking me because they're the people that are like these mythical creatures to me. So I I am like a union boom operator. I'm on set of like big shows and there's people who sit in Video Village and these are the people who sit and have creative control, but they don't actually like do things. Like they don't pick up equipment. They don't necessarily direct and talk to the actors. And what's what's Video Village for everybody who has not had the (laughs) glorious experience of sitting in Video Village? So on a movie or a TV show, there's these videos uh, where people can watch what's happening. And usually there's a video for the makeup and hair people, but Video Village specifically is for the higher ups, the producers, the writers, and the cinematographer may sit there also. He may have his or she. They, oh, I'm such a bad feminist. No, you're not. You're she. just you're reflecting the reality of your industry that in which you unfortunately are one of relatively few um, women in crew compared. Now, there are lots and lots of women in crew, but compared to the abundance of men who occupy those positions yes. and who are directors of photography and who are directors and different things like you know it's it's very male dominated I mean we did not choose and on the writing side like they're 
there are I, I would imagine the ratio is better but there are still like way more male tv film writers you know yeah absolutely and cinematographer is and and camera operator are exceptionally male dominated mm-hmm. exceptionally we have more and more female directors it's still hard um but we have very few female cinematographers and I've worked with some that are amazing and are starting to get hired more. Uh, but yeah, it's a thing. So anyway, Video Village is where these higher ups sit and they watch the show. And usually the only writers that come to set is if it's their episode or the episode that has their name on it. Sometimes that's the showrunner. But I've worked on shows where the showrunner never comes to set. And I believe a showrunner is like the grand pooba of the writers. Yeah. So usually speak, I mean, usually, usually if someone is the showrunner, they are, are the grand pooba of the writers. They're probably also the head writer, but not always. That's why it's so weird. It's so hard to explain because sometimes that's true. Sometimes the head writer is also the showrunner. And sometimes the head writer is just the head writer, which to sip to, I'm putting that in quotes just because that's a really big job. And also, I think a lot of people think that um, that I've heard this. I didn't realize this, but a lot of people seem to think that if they're watching a comedy show like Big Bang Theory, a show that I love, um, which is in its last season. But if they're watching a show like that, that there's that that the writers who are listed, one of them writes for Sheldon only and one of them writes for like (laughs) other care, like Penny only. But that's not what happens in a writer's room. What? happens or what's supposed to happen is that you you come up with a story for the whole you come up with like sort of an arc for the entire season and you come with come up with stories and plots for individual episodes and you come up with like you might um everybody people certainly there's a lot of cross-pollination but certain episodes are attributed to certain writers and that's what heather means when she says that when she's on set if she sees a writer on working on say like a netflix show or something like that it's probably because the writer wrote that particular episode and even if they get attribution for it it actually doesn't mean that they wrote every word that you see on tv yes sometimes there's improv sometimes other people come in and will like edit so to speak so it's a really weird industry to describe (laughs) And I've had female friends who've totally written a whole episode and then the other men in the room, because I don't know, men love taking credit for things women do. It's like one of their things they just love. They love love it. They love (laughs) scratching their balls. Occasionally, like I think talcum powder. What what do they use? This is very important. Um, I, you know, I don't know if this was in the 100 in Central Regional High School curriculum. Maybe it was at your high school, not far away. I don't remember what they use on their balls. Gold bond powder? I was never educated on ball powdering in my career. (laughs) Some of them have sweaty balls, so they use powder for it. Ew. I have not encountered... (laughs) (laughs) Ew. I have not encountered um, a powdered ball. I've encountered a sweaty ball, certainly. Some of these young men need to get with whatever this powdered ball situation is. I'm very confused by balls. I don't know why they're there. I mean, they're I know so why they're funny. there. I think it's funny that they're on the outside. I don't know why. It just feels like a design flaw to me. They was- seem so crazy. An absolute design flaw. I don't know how men get on bicycles or run. I don't understand how that works. They're supposedly very sensitive. Given that they have balls, I'm actually really impressed that you guys can run and be in the Olympics and stuff and do flippity flops in gym class because like listen we have a lot to deal with I'm not discounting at all the difficulties uh, inherent with being a woman but what I'm saying is that there are some difficulties inherent in being a man too and two of them are balls because I don't worry if I hop on a bicycle right which I do like once a year when I'm at my parents place outside Charleston South Carolina and I want to ride a bike on a beach I hop on a bike, I remember how to do it eventually, and I go. If I had balls, I'd be like terrified. I would never. I don't. Also, did you know that they sag sometimes? Yeah, I've met those. You have? I mean, I've met them more like I know my dad's balls too well because he is... He is disabled in a wheelchair. And Wait, you just like giggled in the middle. You took a breath in the middle of that. So somebody might not hear that you said that your dad is disabled. My dad is. <laughs> they might is, just be like, oh, you've, 
seen his balls. Yes, my dad is a stroke victim and now needs help going to the bathroom. And we discovered the hard way that if you put him in his wheelchair before pulling his nuts to the front, he will sit on them and it will make a problem. And so neither he nor I never wanted, ever wanted me to touch his balls and pull them forward in our lives. This was not in the plan. Uh, (laughs) But it happens and they're old and they're my dad's and I love my dad and this is the stuff of life sometimes you gotta pull some balls out oh, would brother. you would with you, a tissue and usually my mom does it but if i'm watching him then like you know uh i will you know i will you'll help i will not force my father to sit upon his own well that's technically literally where you're from his balls and your mom's insides <laughs> back to the show I am, <laughs> so i'm pulling forward the nutsack from whence from whence I uh, arrived. This is the most granular, (laughs) deep. This is the most essential version of the show that has Uh, yet to occur. Yeah. Is, is the, the, because truly that is where you sprang from. So before we get to more of your dad's balls, um, (laughs) where were you, where, where were you born? What hospital? And please give us your social security number. Yes. Well, relating to the topic of my father, you made me think about I was born in the Morristown Memorial Hospital, um, which is where he was when he had a stroke. And I had my birthday on the night he was brought there. Oh, my God. So that was, yeah, it was my 29th birthday in that hospital where I was born because I was born and raised. My parents' house was there my whole life, pretty much until just the past few years they went to a retirement home. But yeah, Morristown in the beautiful county of Morris. In wow. northern New Jersey, in beautiful northern New Jersey. But so you weren't that far from New York City. This is something I talked about with Corinne Fisher, who's the co-host of Guys We Fucked, and she's a, uh, a comedian and actress. And she grew up in Union, New Jersey. Mm. But she, there's a few Union, New Jersey. She grew up on the one that's pretty close to Livingston and like right outside the city. So you weren't that, you weren't as close to the city as that, yeah. but you were pretty close. And yet you grew up, you know, when I went to visit the house that your folks used to live in, where you grew up, it's pretty, it's more more of a country feel, kind of like Flemington, where I'm from, like not quite as out in the boonies, but it's very, it was like a lot of rolling fields and forest, a little bit of forest action. Yeah, yeah. It's very beautiful there. It's called the Garden State for a reason, people. Get off the highway. Take a look. <laughs> you can't take a left in the whole state unless you get off the highway. So get off the highway, have an adventure. And you grew up in Roxbury Township. Yes. So it's equally distant between the Delaware Water Gap, which is our border with Pennsylvania and New York City. So you kind oh, of... Oh, you're right in that in equidistant place. Okay, okay. That's yeah, cool. the so fabled like, central zone. Oh, yes. And <laughs> well, it's in the northern half. It's like um, New Jersey's a curvy lady. I'm in the top half. You're mm. more in the southern more middle, in her, like, central. Her like booty. Well, I'm not in, in her, her booty, booty, I guess, because her booty sticks out into the Atlantic Ocean, right? Yeah. She goes like this. So I'm in like her vag. Beautiful. I grew <laughs> up in the vagina. Actually, I grew up directly across the state from where I grew up is um, the town that used to be called Atlantic Highlands. Now I think it's just called Highlands, which is where Kevin Smith grew up. Okay. It's like straight across, like straight. We, we, may, we sort of live at the waist of New Jersey. I might live a little bit in the vagina and Kevin's from like the top of the butt. Okay. I mean, I would say I'm from the heart of New Jersey. You are from the heart of New Jersey. And you're from the vag. Mm-hmm. Um, That's which why we're it's, friends. It's arguable which is a better place to be. I mean, either, yeah, they're both <laughs> delightful and exciting places. Yeah. So, well, so we're close enough to New York City where it's a part of my culture. Like as a teenager, I'd go into New York City. It's a part of my life. My mother worked in New York City. People in my town work there. But then there's still plenty of people in my town who never go into the city and are total like country bumpkins. And uh, it's a great shame that we live in the same county as Trump's golf course and Richard Branson's like weird estate. But those things are kind of next to me. There are really, really weird rich people that live there. Um, but where I'm at, my town is sort of not the rich town, but next to the rich people's towns. And it's very mixed economically where I grew up. Your town was very, or your house, the house, I think that's the house you grew up in, right? Yes. And it, my, my it mother was, built it with her hands. Yeah, it was beautiful. <laughs> and it was beautiful. And like, I would describe it as a comfortable, maybe like higher, uh, maybe a higher end-ish like middle middle class house, you know, like it was not a big mansion, but it was beautiful. And clearly they had put a lot of effort into the landscaping and everything like that. And do you think that part of that comes from the fact that your mom, to your point, worked in, was one of the few 
ladies uh, running shit in construction in New Jersey? Yeah. So in the 80s, my mom built homes. She was a builder. She actually like with the hammer and nails, but it's very similar to what I do now as a film director where you run a set. There's so many things we have in common in that way of running a crew and her love of just hiring the greatest landscaper, the greatest this and that. So where I grew up, my parents got this like parcel of land that was totally undeveloped. Um, and they built uh, this little cul-de-sac and they sold off the other properties, but they kept the biggest land for themselves. So it's a very custom house where it's my... It's really pretty. Thank was it like you. an acre and a half or two acres? I don't know. I think it might have been one and a half, actually. Uh, so it's a beautiful land and very unique. And it was hard. We sold it um, last year or like a year and a half ago. Um, so I really had this house in my life, my whole life. And I, yeah, I had a really strong attachment to the house and just like our last Thanksgiving there, that was our last meal there. And I had like a teary thank you to the house at Thanksgiving when we said nice things. That's so beautiful. I mean, that's so significant. It's, I, I grew up in five different houses all in, in Flemington or the, or Raritan Township. So all in the same school district. So I didn't have any great attachment. And before that in Hillsboro. Um, and so I didn't have any great attachment to any one of those homes. To the town I do, like to Flemington mm-hmm. I do, to an extent to Raritan Township, certainly to Hunterdon County as a whole I do. But I don't have a big attachment to one house. But when people do, it always reminds me of the episode of The Wonder Years where they get rid of the family car. It's like, the I think it was a station wagon or yeah. something. <laughs> and Kevin's mom cries and I think his dad tries not to cry. And it makes me sad to think about Aww. it. Do you ever like cruise past it just to be like, who lives there now? So my parents moved closer to the Jersey Shore now, which is cool in this retirement community. And by the way, this southern New Jersey, there's this little enclave that's like the Boca of the North now. It's it like, is? Yeah, it's all retirement communities. My mom has to pay higher insurance because there's so many old folks. <laughs> On the road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're like in heaven doing their little wine and cheese parties in these retirement communities all over like near Tom's River kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's more the, the shore near the shore. Uh, yeah, sorry. I lost my train. Where, where did I get off track? Oh, well, well, how about this? How about, so you, you grew up in Roxbury Township. You grew up in that house. Did you go to nursery school there? Oh, Oh man, my nursery school. I felt like such a special young lady. Uh, my mom actually spoiled me and took me to Montessori. Ooh, yeah. cool. And I loved that. It really helped. My sister had such a bad experience with her um, nursery school. Like, it, there's a whole other stories, but they thought they'd do that for me because where I'm from, everyone goes to public school. Mm-hmm. Um, so she wanted me to get on the right track. My mom's also from Europe. She's Dutch. Like, she grew up very, very poor. Um, so they didn't have nice things like that, but Montessori was well known amongst European moms and parents. And also that all these people, she was building houses for fancy people in Mendham. These are very fancy towns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she heard about this kind of school. And so she'd drive me all the way to Mendham and I would go uh, like I'd play on the construction site after work, which was like the most fun. <laughs> and Montessori is, I mean, Maria Montessori was Italian. And so she created this system of learning for um, early childhood. And you can you can do Montessori. I, I don't know if you can go all the way up to 12, but it's it's specifically designed to enhance childhood development, not so much adolescent development. So I certainly know a lot of people who've done Montessori preschool. I know some who've done Montessori, I think up to like grade six. I don't really know people who've done beyond that, but it is, people love it. Did you love it as a kid? I loved it so much and remember it well. And I had a hard time adjusting once I went into public school in first grade. So you did Montessori through kindergarten. I think I did. I remember doing it for kindergarten. And on my first day, like this kid, John, wait, can I say swears on this? Yeah, say swears. I'm going to say him. Well, that was the problem is this kid, John, said, fuck you to me. And so I told him and he said, John said, fuck you to me. And then so I got sent to the principal. And so when I was telling on him, I said, fuck you while telling on him. And so... I got sent to the principal because now I'm saying it. What? And then I told the principal, I was like, yeah, John said, fuck you to me. And because I guess I kept saying it, <laughs> <laughs> that John did not get in trouble. This, mo- this motherfucker. Piece of shit. Fuck you, John. He, John was taking my lunch money and stuff. So it was like no small thing, this bully. What a piece <laughs> of shit. <laughs> the crazy thing, though, where I'm from, another where I'm from topic is people really 
live there their whole life and know each other from childhood. Like I knew John up until we sat next to each other at the lunch table in high school and he was a lovely guy. Oh, he was. He turned out to be <laughs> he a nice was a person. Sweetheart. My favorite thing I remember him saying at the lunch table was the most Jersey thing. So Italian. And he was like, Kristen, you know, she comes to my house. She's dating my brother and she eats a spaghetti with no gravy. <laughs> <laughs> We just stopped for a taco break. <laughs> Every girl needs a taco break. Tell them what kind of tacos we had, Heather. We had home state tacos. Mine was potato. They were so good. Ooh, which do I use to make my headphones louder? I don't know how this anything guy. works. I'm very simple. Ooh, this is Ooh, cool. I'm just a little lady. I don't know how to adjust my I'm headphones. I'm a girl. I don't know how headphones work. Yeah, we had homestay tacos. They're great. Did you, were there any good Mexican joints um, where you grew up? Because there weren't when I was growing up, but now Flemington has um, more Mexican and especially like um, Central American immigrants. So there's some better food, which is great. Yeah, I mean, I can remember the specific moment I first tasted Mexican food. That's how unusual it was in Morris County, New Jersey. Uh, I remember the moment I tasted a Tostito and salsa, and it was at the swimming pool. That was a, that, wait, that was your first Mexican food experience, was a Tostito and salsa? Yes, from the <laughs> store. And my mom's friend, Maureen, brought me over, and she's like, you got to try this. And I tasted it. I was like, what is this? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I am such a tomato slime. I love anything with tomatoes, but I remember the taste. I remember being like eating the whole thing. I was so excited. And the first Mexican we had in our town, yeah, we have good Mexican now. Everywhere does, mm-hmm. right? I mean, kind of. Not Holland. My mother is Dutch. Let me tell you, I was brought to a Mexican restaurant in my uncle's town in Holland, and they think that salsa is tomato sauce, which is very funny. I had some jacked <laughs> up pizza in Holland. Now, granted, I was in a rural area, like in Amsterdam. I know they have great pizza, but not where I was, where I was just like, what? What kind of cheese is on this bread? What is happening? Yeah, it's so... F- and also, like, even in Spain, because some some dumb brain fart makes you... I mean, I was 18, I think, when I was in Spain, and I was like, oh, let's go to a Mexican, eat some Mexican food. And it's like, no, dummy, Spain and Mexico are like an ocean apart, and they cannot make good Mexican food in Spain. Maybe now. Maybe now a lot of places have figured it out. But And New Jersey has. There is a good Mexican restaurant in New Jersey, but at the time, no, Chi-Chi's. We had Chi-Chi's. They were a chain. They've since closed. And when I was a mall rat in eighth grade, we would go. Uh, I smoked a cigarette for the first time behind the Chi-Chi's in the mall parking lot, <laughs> which is so New Jersey. Um, but we would go to the Chi-Chi's as teen mall rats in the 90s to get um, free salsa. And then we would buy a, a Mexican fried ice cream, which was just so pure. <laughs> Uh, Homestate tacos are delicious. And I think Homestate is pretty sort of like Texas style. Like it's kind of Tex-Mexy and um, it's great. So we used that that to refuel so that we could continue our conversation. Indeed. And it's near where I'm from now, or at least where I live, which is in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. Beautiful, sunny Silver Lake. Mm -hmm. Actually, this one is in uh, Highland Park. It's closer to where I live. There's more than one. Oh, there's more than one. Oh, wow. I thought you luxuriously had this wonderful delivery from Silver Lake just because you love a good Mm -hmm. quality taco. No, I was like, what's up, Highland Park? (laughs) So let's learn about Roxbury Township. Mm -hmm. What year do you think it was formed? Oh, my God. Good to guess. Well, they taught us about Sukasuni and the Native Americans. Lenny Lenape life. Lenny Lenape life. What's up? Yeah. Uh, I think it would have to be around 1800. Well, Heather, Roxbury Township was formed on December 24th, 1740 Whoa. from portions of Morris Township. It was formally incorporated by the Township Act of 1798. So you're correct. The formal incorporation was closer to 1800. Uh, as part of the state's initial group of 104 townships. Portions of the township were taken taken away to form Mendham Township, Washington Township, Chester Township, Jefferson Township, Mount Olive Township, Mount Arlington, and Netcong. Also in this section on Wikipedia, which is the section of Roxbury Township history, it says all the stuff I just said. And then it says, Tom's Diner was featured in the music video from time after time by Cindy Lauper. Yes, that little diner. It's very cute. And it's died. This year is its last year. And really? so people in my town were getting um, 
reflective about it in the town Facebook groups. Uh, not to be confused with Tom's Restaurant, which is on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and which was featured prominently uh, the exterior in um, Seinfeld and is also in a song. Wow. It is weird that Cindy Lauper's crew came out to my town. It does feel in the middle of nowhere. And I am there's so many diners in New Jersey. It does have this really cute feel and vibe. I'm so excited that Cindy Lauper came to our town in that time. But um, oh, my God, that must have been huge. And she's an uh, Ozone Park, Queens girl like Bernadette Peters. Ozone Park, Queens is also that's where my grandparents live when they met each other. Talk about where you're from. Whoa, this is all like a crazy zip zap zop improvisational <laughs> genetic heritage experience that we're learning about here yes oh uh, guess what, what the the um the census like the town population was in 1810 like 58 1563 oh i i don't know it's i don't know my 1800 but it's because it's part way between a lot of why new jersey grew up in the in the um the pre and post revolutionary era and why it was attractive for settlement was because it was this way station between New York City and Philadelphia. That is true. And it had a special feature that ran through my street was there was this stream that was formerly the historic Morris Canal, which at the time it was the largest canal ever built. And it was like where the canal outlets is a place I lived for many years in Hoboken, New Jersey at the ferry terminal. You lived in Hoboken? I did for many years when I was a new comedian. But I guess we met maybe right when I moved to Manhattan for the first time as a 20 something comedian those are our days but um but yeah I lived in Hoboken for three years fresh out of college and uh yeah the Morris Canal outlet there and it went all the way to my humble little town but that canal was used to pull coal with like horses and and whatever thingies they pull on the canal canal boat box things canal boat the barge <laughs> barge <laughs> Yes. And there were like mules. The mules would pull the barges, probably. Yes, I've seen these pictures. And Succasuna is the biggest town in my in my township. Say it again Suc- for the boys in the back. Succasuna. New Jersey has a lot of really great town names like Hohokus. That's a yeah. solid one. Um, I think maybe that's the only one. There, some of them are really hard to pronounce. Where you're like, what? So, oh, oh. So Sakasuna, where it was named, it meant like Sukasuni meant black rock and it was coal because there was a lot of coal there. And, um, you know, it was just one of those places. The uh, the white man took the land and developed it one and of, industrialized it. One of those it. many, many places. And let me say in college, because I brought up John Mayone with his like no so, no gravy with her spaghetti, you know. <laughs> Who John Mayone grew up to be a very nice person. Shout out to John. Yay, John. Um, but yeah, so there was a couple things I didn't realize until college about where I was from. One of them was someone said to me, yeah, everyone in New Jersey, like their last name ends in a vowel. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. They are all Italian and their last name ends in a vowel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it didn't occur to me because people who don't look very Italian do have Italian heritage. They're just... New Jersey's littered with Italian, Jewish, and Irish. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Poles, some Poles too. And yeah. now, like, that was kind of the first, so the first wave of, of, of immigrants to New Jersey from elsewhere were, of course, like the... Um, the English and I guess to an extent Dutch settlers at a certain point in time and then obviously Native Americans had been there for a very long time already so the first uh, oppressors who usurped the land were from those places but then as later forms of immigration came a lot of the people who came to uh, New York you know to escape the famine um, the Irish who came over in say the 1840s 1850s like they spilled over into Jersey and then later you have the Italians who are coming around starting I'm being really rough here with my numbers, but probably around like 1870s, 1880s on through, there was like another rush around 1900 and up to 1910 and then still coming. And then now in New Jersey, you have up north, it's it's so diverse because you have a lot of people from, um, from India, from Pakistan, from South Asia in general, from sort of all over the world and certainly from Central and South America as well as Mexico. But... I remember when I was teaching high school in the desert with the AmeriCorps program in America's Southwest, I remember my students who were all like Chicano or Chicano or Latinx and were typically born in the United States to parents from Mexico or sometimes to 
you know, the last people in their family to come over from Mexico were like great grandparents or something. I mean, there were people who were like fourth, fifth generation New Mexican, New Mexicans um, in New Mexico where I taught. And uh, so some some of them were the girls being like, were like, yo, miss, like, have you did you know, like Puerto Rican guys and Dominican guys and shit when you were growing up and I'm like yeah I mean you know where I I had we had talked about where I was from and I was like you know it was a pretty white area but if I when I was in like camp during the summer or when I started getting older and having friends who came from the city or whatever I started to meet like a more diverse group of people and they were like yeah yeah you know they basically were like this is not about demographics they were like what are, are those guys sexy I was like oh my god I cannot talk to you about that first of all I'm not gonna say something like that second of all like we're not talking about this I did not know that's where the conversation was going because I was 23 and dumb and couldn't figure out where my but it was it was this idea that like dudes from the northeast might have come from other places and been exotic mm. you know and different and yeah. I was like you know what's I was I remember talking to them and saying I didn't grow up with good Mexican food I knew where to get great Dominican food or great Puerto Rican food, but I didn't grow up with it, you know, yeah. and it is Jersey. So I love Jersey. I mean, I've had multiple guests on the show who grew up in New Jersey just because we tend to generate the most exciting people. Although Corinne <laughs> Fisher says Jersey's so fucking boring. Everybody has to be interesting to get the fuck out of it. You know, I misqu- I'm misquoting her, but there yeah. may be some truth to that. I respect to that quote, but I think that there is a... New Jersey is very interesting and people always trash New Jersey but I always be like well where the hell are you from that's so freaking great like Ohio cool (laughs) I I think other states can be great other states can be just as boring and like I always think about from my town like the kid who got made fun of the most and like I hate Roxbury I hate it so much and I'm just like I think these are universal themes you will find in every town that you will have gotten made fun of were you in another town based on you know all these but but Back to what you're talking about, immigrant groups in the places where we grew up. I believed when I grew up that I was from a diverse place. I, you know, knew all these kids from different backgrounds um, and I tried lots of foods from different places, but especially because I'd go into New York City and try things. And New York City is diverse. Um, However, besides realizing everyone where I grew up was Italian, I also (laughs) looked at Wikipedia of my town for the first time. And I realized something that made a huge impact on me, which is that where I'm from is 90% white. And I didn't realize it. I didn't know it. Um, which is naive. And it's in, in this blissful, there's something about the nineties and the aughts where we were in this like cloud of naive wokeness to use the word, knowing what I'm saying, like where you think, Oh, everything was fine before Trump, but it's really just like before me too. Right. Like people didn't, people were shocked. Wow. Women put up with this stuff all the time. And I think a similar thing is true for people of color that like they've been putting up with so much racism for so long and we just weren't aware to it of it because people weren't talking about it in a certain, I mean, they were, they weren't be heard. A lot's changed over the past few years. People are listening in a different way. People are speaking up in a different way. Well, you also have access to the, I mean, if you're growing up with a relatively homogenous peer group and that's all you really know and you're growing up pretty much pre-internet like we got the internet in my house when I was like 14 or whatever but you know you're 13 or something but it's not it you didn't have the ease of connecting with other human beings in the way that you do now it I think the show pen 15 does a good job of showing how you were like oh we have dial up I'll go you, you know you didn't even see an image of someone next like an icon of them next to their screen name you saw like you kind of I don't know I just think that it's not excusing the sort of naive ignorance with which you and I both grew up, but it is kind of placing it in context that yeah. people today are a bit less isolated. And so especially as when you're, you know, you're a little kid growing up through high school and everything, your whole world, like, yeah, MTV existed and there were cable shows and things like that. There was an understanding that there was another world out there and you could go into New York and see things and visit but it wasn't like we were integrated into a neighborhood in New York City where we Mm -hmm. actually were living the rhythms of city life so you kind of end up inadvertently being a a pretentious country bumpkin until (laughs) you start to leave the bubble in which you were raised and start to learn more and and actually you know and that process is ongoing I mean I'm still I know that 
I'm sure 10 years from now, I'll personally look, and maybe you will too, at things that I say or things that I think now and go, oh, wow, I've learned so much since then. I absolutely feel that way. And and it's a realization that, hey, in my town, every white people and people of color all got along. I was, first of all, not there firsthand at the comments that they and racism that they experienced, which I'm 100% certain that they did. But everyone's getting along because they don't have a choice. There's not enough people of color that they split off into separate groups. You know what I mean? Like, we're not in a town where there's enough black people that, like, these, that the, you know, black kids in my school would have their own, you know, social group or something like that. Everyone's integrated and it feels like there's no racism because, hey, we're all getting along, but it's for lack of choices. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like, it's, there is a, particular dominant culture and so the choice becomes to sink or swim and the way that you swim is to assimilate as best you can would be my guess that's exactly right like any kid who goes I mean this is a broad a broad sort of um parallel to make but if a let's say you have a kid regardless of background who is the new kid in school and moves somewhere and it's clear that they need to fit in or get ostracized all the time and it's kind of that principle at work except that these are kids who are from there they're from the town and yet they still have to participate in what's you know what's going on around them no matter what when did you start to think that you wanted to go outside of um of your town to go away to college or to go work somewhere to go make art. I mean, did you know when you were little that you wanted to be a filmmaker? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, if you talk to young Heather, oh, the, the, the energy and spirit, I mean, I'm 37 now, the energy and spirit I had, I didn't want to just go outside my town. I wanted to go to outer space. Like (laughs) I'm serious. When I had a fake ID and when I was younger, I just, oh, this girl Chrissy now we also have the Greeks that's the diners are run by the Greeks yeah the diners are run by the Greeks it's weird when I go to a diner and it's run by Italians I'm always like that's not that's not right I was like what's going on you guys (laughs) there's a weird thing in New Jersey the diners are run by the Greeks Indian families run the gas stations like there's these like deep-rooted family histories like hey man this is our industry back off um so the Greeks and I knew this girl Chrissy I grew up with and she was a little older and cool let me just say big part of my where I'm from story too is in like the summer before high school the popular girls gave me a popular girl makeover oh they saw clueless and got excited the, yeah I Heather mean there has so potential. many so many movies well it's really the most popular girl in the school Tiffany who's really a very nice makeup artist in New York City now oh um, so she, she was really working out her future career in a sense absolutely yeah she's like saw potential in my outfit that I wore <laughs> and she was like come over my house after school and it was like that and that's this whole other story but Chrissy was a senior when I was a sophomore and we were hanging out that's how cool I was that's very cool (laughs) that is extremely cool I say this as someone who had a senior boyfriend when I was a sophomore he wasn't like popular but it was still cool you know he was like neutral like he wasn't popular but he wasn't uncool so even just having a neutral like senior boyfriend when you're a sophomore is like very cool yeah oh oh no I bring this up because we would go to the city and I remember we went to the big clubs in the 90s like the tunnel like like palladium and let me tell you this which sounds I almost don't even believe this is true but it's true uh, we went to the club. The first time I went to, she said, dress up. And I wore like, I thought that meant my Sunday best. Like, oh God, I like wore a like Laura a church Ashley dress. dress. Like, it was like, it was, I mean, it was fine, but it was like a little white shift dress. I mean, whatever. I went there, but I, but I, this is related just because I remember that my thing I made up when asked what I do, or I was like, oh, I go to Boston University and I major in astronomy. They don't teach that there, by the way. That's not a major they have. But I was 16 years old. And this is the thing that was so surprising. I saw Destiny's Child performing. What? Then It was the Palladium. They were there. And, and shit. Was I it DC3 or was it the four girls? I, th- I remember there being three and it was like well before they were famous what year would this have been 96 i think this would have been been probably dc4 because it was like okay maybe kelly beyonce i think what was her name latavia and latoya but here's why i realized it because history they were were introduced as the backing vocals on no 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 say yeah 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 yeah. that was a they were backing vocals on like i forget who the song was wait that was them. That was their first like thing on the radio. And they're like, God. they sing backup vocals. I am so-and-so. looking this up right now because I'm so excited. <laughs> and I'm- I remember they were wearing like sexy lacy outfits to perform in too. And people weren't really paying that much attention. You know, they were like dancing and talking to each other. Oh my God. 
a I, youthful Beyonce. I mean, I can't even. I just remember the Lacey outfits, like, because they were just not like a famous draw. Like nobody really cared that much that they were on the stage. This is so fucking exciting. isn't it? But anyway, okay, that's a part of my my story. Is just um, you were talking about wanting to leave the town and. Um, yeah, I had ideas about space. I thought, well, you know, the universe is so small when you think about the scope of how we're ants in the great universe. And if I live this life and I don't even get off this planet, I don't know, am I wasting my life? And these are thoughts I remember having um, in high school. So I didn't just want to get out of my town. Okay, I'm sorry. I have to That's break okay. in right here. Yes. This is extremely important. Enter. So the lineup that you saw was Beyonce Knowles Carter, Kelly Rowland, Michelle Williams, Latavia Roberson, and Latoya Luckett. Now, in early 2000, Latavia and Latoya were replaced with Michelle Williams, and people forget this, Farrah Franklin, but Farrah Franklin quit after five months. Then it became DC3, which was Survivor, which was very deep and beautiful. Okay. But at the time, you were you saw the four of them. This is... So thrilling. I mean, I really <laughs> feel like not only are you a part of pop culture history, but also where you're from history, because Michael Arsenault, who's at Young Cynic online, who wrote a wonderful New York Times bestseller called I Can't Date Jesus, about various things, including growing up young, black, and a big hip hop fan in Houston, Texas, and gay, um, loves Beyonce very much. And her like sort of origin story and her tales very much have to do with his life and like he like went to school with some of her like relatives and stuff and so it's just so this is very I find this to be poignant I might like message him and be like oh my god (laughs) I'm going to after I'm going to direct message and be like Michael my friend Heather saw them and like I mean this would have been well so 97 maybe I think 96 or 97 because like I'm just thinking about 16. I was a sophomore. So 96, 97, 16. Oh, my God. You were a baby and they let you in. Well, 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 my friend Chrissy's older brother was like mob. Oh, he was mobbed up. (laughs) Kind of. He was like, because he's Greek. So it's different. Like there's different. Was there there, this Greek mob? I mean, mob is part of Jersey. I will say that like the Irish mob was very interested in my mother's construction activities. And like one of them sent goons to like try and like go after her. Really? My mom took them to court is why. And here's the thing is the grandmother of the people she took to court ended up being like li- they bought the property my parents developed in the backyard. It's a whole story. So they like sent goons to like did they like uh like on the site slash to- her tires or something? No, she just said that these big guys were like set- sent to her construction sites while she was working to like intimidate her, but my mom is a very tough Dutch woman and maybe against, you know, better I don't know maybe Did it's not a good idea but them? no I mean she just like didn't pay them any mind and was tough and took them to court and won the case and got the money back that Damn, they stole girl and good for that's you my, my mom will Your not be badass. effed with or I guess I can start my mom won't be fucked with she's amazing that's badass um, dude. and she's just this adorable Dutch woman that just cannot be fucked with but what are you gonna expect from a woman in construction you yeah she's think- one of the only women running shit in only one of the only women builders at the time and probably to this day in yeah. New Jersey I mean, when, for those of you who are Sopranos fans, if you remember, there was a sort of plot line where Carmela decided that she wanted to make some of her own money. She wanted to become a builder. And Tony, if I'm recalling the storyline correctly, Tony kind of like um, Tony or maybe her father kind of hobbled her sort of like, um, you know, kind of messed it up if I'm remembering correctly like she was this was a moment in the series where Carmela who uh, of course is incredibly controlling and powerful in her own right but she doesn't want to just be a housewife she like has these other skills she doesn't want to just control through like sex and domination and emotional manipulation she wants to have her own thing something of her own and run a business and it's very rare for a woman to be a builder yeah maybe if her husband like set her up in it it's old school but like your dad was a scientist that's not what was happening there no it wasn't I mean they kind of made a company together um but my dad didn't I mean he was never on the site really like he dropped me off there maybe to be with mom but no it was my mom's business absolutely and she only changed changed uh, industries in like 1990 the housing there was a housing market crisis and there you know it was hard to be a builder so she then as a, a non-college educated uh immigrant kind of from holland and when i talk about 
I also was mentioning the immigrants where I'm from. Like, I thought I was so exotic being half Dutch and half Jewish. Um, and I it's would, an unusual combo, I'd say, for an American to have a Dutch immigrant mom and a, a Jewish American dad. Yeah. That's not a usual combo. I am aware, though, of like the that I do have white privilege in spite of like, yeah, my mom's an immigrant from a place and she grew up very poor. But the country she's from, it has deeply exploited uh people and both with slavery and colonization and that's something that you have to take your little cushy little helmet off you get from grades grade school learning about uh you know thanksgiving like the idealized things you grew up with oh my god i remember learning and i've been thinking about this locks i've been writing about something to do with the medusa myth and been thinking about how the medusa myth is a story about sexual assault is a story about rape and how that was Mm -hmm. softened for us in middle school they taught us that medusa was punished for saying she was so beautiful like so if we're we're even sanitizing our imaginary stories when we tell them to kids in grade school we're for fucking sure sanitizing and coming up with bullshit stories to tell young people about what quote unquote really happened, you know? So like, yeah, as you get older, to your point, you do kind of have to take off your own cushy helmet. And it's hard. It's sometimes it's hard to do if like, if that, if that helmet is like in, or that armor, let's say is inuring you against certain realities that would be uncomfortable. So I think it's cool that you can, uh, you know, acknowledge that while at the same time, yeah, your mom grew up poor. Yeah. She's a hardworking immigrant, but you know, you're also looking at it in context and going, well, you know, but I do know that I have certain privileges. As do I like all of these things can be true at once. They are all true at once. And I do admire my mom and she is hardworking and she did, you know, raise herself up from nothing. And she did, work um in the 90s she started from secretary to executive wow um, really that was yeah her. well so she so so she's so in the 80s when you're growing up that's the housing boom and that's when she's a builder mm-hmm. and then getting into the 90s she's like whoa like suddenly these people aren't aren't building homes as much yeah Times there were are tougher. two both my parents switched industries my dad was working in sales for companies and then he switched to you know having like a business in the home that would have been so big today but back then it wasn't like he was doing things that are huge now with water filtration and non-chlorine you know chemical free ionization of swimming pools and homeopathic medicine and he was early with trying to make water bottled water wasn't a thing till the late 90s and he was like early on that and having like filtration systems in the homes the things he was working on are everywhere but my dad is scatterbrained he's a sweet my dad is a goofy sweet man um but his mother was schizophrenic and his father was a genius so he's a super smart dude who is not like great in social settings so when he was in sales and i recently learned he sold the first color copier to wall street when he worked at xerox what that's and amazing we, we actually had one of the first three but one of the first mice ever on computers because my Whoa. dad working in computers and it was a three button mouse at first oh my god which is very because you know xerox invented the mouse xerox invented the mouse and windows this is not related I will get off this tangent. no this is related because the the store you know what I like to do with this show is to find out not just where you are from geographically but but I should do who you're from whom yeah. you're from where you're from in terms of family life in terms of politics in terms of religion in terms of cuisine in terms of you know did you grow up in a rural area how did growing up around trees make you feel like whatever it is yeah. you know artistically what were you surrounded by so this absolutely is so interesting well I, I see all these images from childhood when I say all these things whether it's like riding in the car past daddy's work which was near the um the Lincoln no it was near the George Washington Bridge he worked like near I I can see it now Route 80 and riding in his car and I remember visiting mom at take your daughter to work day which was a wonderful thing like I was there in the the first ever take your daughter to work day was around when I was in fourth grade my mom worked in the World Trade Center oh my gosh (laughs) one day when I got home from when I was at Girl Scouts these ladies took me aside and said your mother's work's been blown up but she's fine. What? <laughs> that was the 93 bombing. Oh, the 93 bombing. Yeah, oh, yeah. yes. People, oh, oh, gosh, I even forgot. I was like doing the math in my head like, no, what? Yeah. The, the 93 bombing. They did move their offices before 9-11. My mom still worked in that part of town. Um, but 
they said at the time, like, this is preventative. We think it's a terrorist target. We don't want to work in that building anymore. And I said, well, they've really ramped up security. Like, I don't think a bomb's getting through there ever again. A bomb never got through there ever again. They were inventive with the airplanes. Uh, So, you know, I was half right and I was half wrong. Damn, dude. (laughs) Do you remember going to Windows on the World? Did you ever go up to that, to the restaurant that was at the top of, I forget which tower it was? We were a thrifty people. We went to the free (laughs) floor that my mom could get up to. We didn't. My friend's parents got, I think they got engaged at Windows on the World. Really? Yes. I mean, we also, and it's one of those things you think is always going to be there. So it's like no rush. Like I can mm-hmm. see that another time. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Like I'm just like, uh, like I still haven't been to the Statue of Liberty. Me neither. And I'm just like, I've been to Ellis Island. Ellis Island's fun yeah. and interesting New and Jersey curriculum is it's the fifth grade trip. You get to go to Statue of Liberty. I got to go to Holland on my birthday, my 12th birthday. Oh, on that that's trip. so cool. Yeah, it was like a, my aunt was getting married. So anyway, so I remember I missed the big New York trip where everyone goes. You were like, I'm going back to old Amsterdam, not new Amsterdam. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Well, we actually have to wrap up pretty soon, which is like I've enjoyed this so much because we've gotten to talk about so many different things and different aspects of kind of like your life and where you come from and all that jazz. But do you think I'll ask you just a couple more questions. Do you think of yourself as growing up in the country, in the city or the suburbs? Absolutely both. I mean, that is what New Jersey is. I always love where we're from. I think it's the best of all these worlds. You've got the city uh, and you've got the country. You've got the shore in the summer. You've got skiing in the winter. You got little, you have low mountains, but we do have them. The Appalachian, or as they called them in the South when I lived there, Appalachian mountains. They're low because they're real old. They've been worn out my time. They do exist. You've got swamps. You've got like... Yeah, it's a where it's a really it's absolutely neat place. both. You can have your toe in both things. I feel so grateful to grow up in this place that every everyone wants to get to New York City or say they're from there or go there or live there. It's for some people it's an achievement to get there, which is weird when you're from there to just be like, I just got to New York. I'm so accomplished, and it's like, hey, people were born here. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I'm always, I always think of it as my city and a huge part of who I am and how my life went. Um, And of course, later after I was like a child, I lived in the city properly, like Brooklyn and Manhattan and all that. But anyway, um, it's a part of me. It's a part of my culture and my life. And uh, I certainly grew up running around in the backyard by myself and playing at streams. So it is a balance where I'm from, I think, is both. Would you ever move back there if you could do your career the way you want to do your career and make the income that you want to make so I think mm-hmm. I, I will speak for both of us in this sense I think we both well I think I like LA probably more than you do like I really love LA I think you like it it's not your fave but I think you like it but I don't think either of us would be here necessarily like just randomly I would say that I get a lot of joy from being here. I'm so happy to be here. And I've been pleasantly surprised by the joy of being somewhere I haven't explored yet. I'm a very much an explorer. And I'm so excited to go and check out this new hike or that new weird geological or, or geological mm-hmm. feature. That's, there's so much. The plate tectonics out here are extraordinary. <laughs> They're really doing it. <laughs> but um, uh, so I do love being here. I ask myself this question. Would I settle down? I once assumed I'd settle down in my parents old house that maybe they wouldn't ever sell it and it would I'd end up there making babies but I'm 37 there's no husband there's no babies coming out New York is in my core and soul of who I am as a person they're my people it's in my blood I miss and love my people out there and like working with them on film sets and it feels very foreign here I don't know though I could end up here stay here the rest of my life I I really don't know my life is it's such a place where I don't know what the future holds I'm super happy to be here because I feel connected to where I want to go in my film career and I feel connected to more a greater promise and things stirring there's things stirring here and moving forward in a different way from New York where I felt in New York I felt stagnant I felt I got as far as I was gonna get versus LA has this like thing in the air about we're making weird new things happen and New York so much shit gets made and done and it's it's amazing in that way but specifically in the film industry I feel surrounded by my favorite New Yorkers like we were all here yeah I it was <laughs> I, I feel like it some people will say to me did you 
feel lonely when you first move to Los Angeles? And I'll say, well, I kind of feel like I cheated because I waited until so many other people I knew had moved out here. I think I would if I had not come up with a group of people who wanted to be in entertainment. I didn't know that I wanted to do entertainment until I was in sort of my mid-20s, I guess. Um, I didn't know. I just I thought I wanted to write books, which are their own form of entertainment. But you can do that anywhere. I didn't know until I was in my mid-20s that I would want to do this and... Um, and to you know write scripts and things of that nature as well as the kind of other writing I like to do like books and turns out I like marketing which I had no idea (laughs) and writing magazine articles and stuff but by the time I figured it out so many people who had known since they were little like baby Heather who had known that they wanted to do film and stuff were already out here so it kind of felt like a cheat at the time I was like Mm. oh there's people here I don't know. There's there's a lot of benefits to all. But every time I, I'm in a smaller town or city that I really enjoy, I'm always like, I could live here, too. I think that's yeah. sort of part of the weird the weirdness of life is sometimes you realize the places that you truly love. And sometimes you realize it's more about the feeling you get. I get these fantasies when I visit other places. The, the places I could live in the world are New York, L.A. and Amsterdam also because I feel a sense of self and a sense of home when I go there um, and I instantly can start giving people directions when I'm in Amsterdam and I've hard you can bust out some Dutch directions (laughs) can you can you speak you're not like you don't consider yourself fluent but I think you can get up to speed pretty quickly right yeah it's just this thing that was raised in the background but my mom didn't teach us because my parents didn't speak it to each other and the Dutch are raised with this mentality like you're from a small country you don't count you You speak five languages (laughs) every Dutch person I meet is like speaks at least three languages exactly. and I find it really upsetting and then you'll go oh my god your English is so good and they'll go my English is not very good and their English is so Perfect. good yeah. and also they'll be speaking it with like a little bit of a Dutch accent or just an entirely American accent and you're yeah. like what are you talking about you just used several large words that I don't even know but you use them correctly like what and they're like mm-hmm. oh no it's very I feel like it's more of a deflecting culture like Kind of like that tall poppy syndrome that I think New Zealanders and Aussies talk about. Maybe that's where where the tallest poppy is the first one to get cut down. So you don't want to shine too hard. You don't want to brag about yourself, which is so different to an American where I'm just like self-promotion. Let's do this thing. Yeah, yeah, it is different. I will. The final thing about where I'm from that I think is a big part of me is just being half of the thing, half of the thing. I'm half Christian, half Jewish, half American, half Dutch, you know, half city, half country. But primarily the country things and the religion things have always made me feel like I'm not I've never felt entirely American because of the way I was raised. My mom being the dominant raiser of us. my dad being there very much. But anyway, sorry. Um, but when I'm in Holland, too, I'm not exactly Dutch either. I'm an American there. And I'm not entirely Jewish or Jewish enough for the, my, the one boyfriend I dated whose father was a rabbi. And I'm certainly not anything else very much either. But we do have Easter and Christmas. So, <laughs> yeah, know? that's interesting. I never thought of, of it, of, of the kind of liminal space that you occupy walking between worlds in a sense and maybe that's part of why you're such a good storyteller is that you've had to observe a lot because when you're not you know oh I'm sure you were in a lot of experiences where you weren't of the thing of the experience so much as Mm -hmm. a as a as a witness or an observer to it in a sense it is a theme in my life that I never have my toe like I'm yeah I I pay the bills as a sound person but my heart's absolutely not there and I'm also a director and when I'm directing I'm thinking of what a sound person would be thinking right now or you know and I've always had toes in multiple places like when I was a comedian I tried to not date other comedians or have my social life I should have followed that too my social (laughs) life I always was trying to attach outside of every time I've ever and I didn't date a comedian until I wasn't a comedian anymore or wasn't performing anymore so now that I'm in the film crew, I will not date other film crew people. Um, so it's it's kind of a weird thing that maybe I can... Be- My point is, like, I- I've always been an outsider, felt like an outsider in a way that sometimes was emotionally painful. But I also embrace it, and it's a choice. Yeah, it's something that you've leaned into and that you enjoy. I was just talking... I was talking about you to my friend, Cristiano Lopez, my new friend, who's who is the... Um, the shooter producer basically like videographer on this project I did with Neil Gaiman so I was telling her and Neil like a few days ago about you and one thing that I was saying was that um 
people respect i in my limited experience when we did the focus group together a short we did together i th but i think it's probably true in other ways that i think that when you're directing um crew members tend to maybe have a little bit more respect for you whether or not they mm -hmm. like you personally i have no idea mm -hmm. but they tend to have more professional respect for you because you've been you've worked you've worked those long hours you've stood with a fucking boom over your head forever and ever like you you know how a set functions and that I think is different than somebody who shows up and is like I just decided to make up stories you can yeah. make them happen well I know a film crew wants their day to not suck and they want them to be they want to be understood and respected and I know that I just cannot effing wait I don't know I keep censoring myself I can't wait till I get to direct on something with a proper budget because by now working in New York and LA part of the union crew um I know so many people and the joy, I feel I have this team rooting for me in New York. They can't wait to put up a chair for me at Video Village and I can't wait to come home to them and direct with them and be amongst them. Like I can't walk past a film shoot in New York and not know my people. Like I love them so much. I hope I get an opportunity to direct there soon. I mean, in LA, I'm starting to develop these relationships too. Like we are from each other and mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing. So. That's anyway. beautiful. I love it. Well, Heather Fink, where can people find out more about your work? Heatherfink.com. You can see some of my stuff and you can check out my feature Inside You, which is on Amazon Prime. And it is a body switch comedy. That's right. It's a comedy about a couple that switches bodies after a night with a magic sex toy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't watch with your kids. And there's a, several shorts and things you could see out there. Uh, so just heatherfink.com is a really helpful resource. <laughs> <laughs> you said that like a, a brand new librarian. Oh, and Fink, let me clarify. I am not of a sink. I am a fink, F as in fuck. We're talking about fuck on this program. Heather Fink. I do not like when I am called sink. They call you sink? Every now and then. And I say F as in fuzzy is what I'll usually say. Uh, and F as in fuzzy. I'll still get sink. And sink is not a proper last name. I have never met anyone with the last name sink. I've heard of think as a surname before and I love that people just decide that it's sync that's amazing uh. well thank you so much my love and uh hey everybody thanks for listening we will talk to you soon bye